The hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman partner here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join me today. I think we have a terrific show for you. Each week, I'm going to do my very best to try to give you ideas that you can take away and research on your own to see if they're appropriate for you. Keep in mind, these are just my thoughts, my ideas, and my opinions. They may not be right for you. You always need to do your own research. We're going to talk about the markets today, and then we're going to be talking about a new stock that we've been buying. Actually, we've been buying two new stocks, but I'm only going to be talking about one today. And then we're going to be talking about the two questions you need to ask yourself before buying a stock. Okay, let's jump right into it. Let's talk about the markets. We kicked off the start of the fourth quarter this week with the stock market at record highs. Now, stocks have been cheering the Trump administration's apparent headway in getting a tax bill passed. I don't think it happens this year, but it's more likely that it gets done at the beginning of next year. And it's really been the small and the mid caps that have been the biggest beneficiaries. And that's because people believe they'll benefit the most from any type of tax reform that we do get. If you look at the trend, the trend definitely points to the upside. We have new highs on the S&P and the Dow, and they're being confirmed by the Dow Transports, the Russell 2000, the NYSE Composite. The number of stocks, S&P stocks, trading above their 200-day moving average is 74%, and the number of stocks trading above their 50-day moving average is up to 68%. Both of those are significantly higher than just a few weeks ago. Now, one thing that does give you pause or should give you pause is the sentiment indicators, which are getting to levels where you would call them excessively bullish. Now, keep in mind, sentiment indicators are contrary indicators, meaning when everyone is bullish, well, you need to start getting worried. We aren't there yet but we're moving in that direction. So let's keep an eye on them. In the short term, we'll start to get the third quarter earnings here in a couple of weeks. And I think they could surprise on the upside. We've had decent growth, not just here in the US, but also from overseas. And don't forget, the S&P gets a good bit of revenue from abroad. Typically, analysts earnings estimates, they start out high and then they get reduced or massaged as time goes on. For example, for the first and second quarters, earnings were reduced in the range of about five to 6%. And earnings came in higher than expected and beat estimates by four and a half percent. So they moved them down five or 6% and earnings beat by four and a half percent, right? For this quarter, earnings have been reduced by 9% probably because of the hurricanes, to where now analysts are expecting 6% profit growth year over year, which is a pretty low hurdle in my opinion. Now, looking a little further out, I have a number of things to worry me. 
but I think the market continues higher until the end of the year on the back of the sustained global growth growth that we're seeing. Now, this doesn't mean that you go out and you buy stocks willy-nilly, no. Yes, I do talk about what I see from a big picture perspective, but make no mistake about it, our investment decisions are driven by company fundamentals. What types of stocks do we as value investors look for? What are the two questions we ask ourselves before investing in a company? Well, the answer is simple. We're looking to buy things for less than what they're worth. <laughs> That's the real simple answer. I can't imagine, I can't imagine anyone saying that their goal is to buy something at a higher price than what it's worth. It just doesn't make sense. When it comes to investing, you have basically two camps. You have the value camp and the growth camp, the good guys and the bad guys, the white hats and the black hats. <laughs> Actually, the growth people aren't that bad. If you ask people what kind of investor they wanna be, well, everyone's gonna hold up their hand and say, growth, I wanna be a growth investor. We wanna make money and we wanna have our portfolios grow. Well, you know what? Both camps wanna make your money grow. We just go about it in different ways. And of course, we think ours makes the most sense and we believe we have much better results over the long term. You basically have two questions you need to answer. Is this a good to great business? And what price do I wanna pay for it? Now, what's a good business? Think of it like this. If you won the lottery, now you have a billion dollars tucked away and you wanna go out and you wanna buy a business. What kind of business do you wanna own? I would argue you should wanna own one that's growing and making money, producing free cash flow, not one that you're constantly having to put money into. You want one that has a good balance sheet because balance sheets matter. And in general, a company with a competitive advantage, a competitive edge. You want one with a great management team who are acting in your best interest. Now, let's say you find a company that you like. Now you need to determine the price you're willing to pay for it. And we could spend days talking about this. But what I think is most important is that you give yourself an ample margin of safety. Determine what you think the company is worth and then demand a discount. You do this because you could have easily made a mistake in your calculations and you're just giving yourself some room for error. The price you pay for different types of companies are gonna vary. I would suggest that you pay more for a company that has predictable earnings, a great balance sheet, and a terrific management team that's acting in a shareholder-friendly way, as opposed to a company that doesn't have these qualities. When you're able to answer these two big questions, is it a great company, and what price do I wanna pay? Then let's assume you buy it. Then you need to exercise some patience. Stocks go up and stocks go down. You need to be patient. If you bought a stock for what you believe is a 50 cent dollar, you got a great deal. We'll assume you're right. You bought a 50 cent dollar. Now, the next day, the market drops and so does your stock that you bought. Now it's trading for 30 cents on the dollar. I ask yourself, 
How mad can you really be? You can't get that mad at yourself. You bought it at a significant discount. How are you to know that it would get even cheaper just because the market for some reason went down that day? That's just short-term market action, market timing. You could always add to your position and average down. In the end, if you're buying stocks at a discount to what they're worth, you're going to do just fine over the long term. I look at the clock and it's time for us to step away and take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about a new stock that we've been buying for ourselves and for our clients. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. We are back in a moment. You've worked hard. You've saved and invested along the way. Now you want to make sure all your hard work pays off so you can do what matters most to you, whether it's giving back to your community or ensuring a safe, comfortable retirement. It's never too late to start planning. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. If you want someone who can help you navigate the investment landscape, then please visit us at our website, xmlfg.com, or call us at 301-770-5234. Well, thank you and welcome back to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. Glad you could join me today. If you have a question for the show, email us at podcast, it's plural, podcast at xmlfg.com. And don't forget to visit us at our website. It's xmlfg.com. I always say it twice. It's xmlfg.com. That's where you can find out more about us and what we do. So if you're looking for a conservative value-oriented manager, well, please consider us. We have a terrific team here. Now, we're going to be talking about stocks And I told you we've been buying two new stocks. I'm only gonna talk about one today. But you know, I've mentioned Apple before, symbol AAPL. I said I'd buy half under 155 and the other half if it got below 145. So right now, Apple's about 153. I'd be nibbling at it. And I saw something interesting today. It was in the Wall Street Journal. And the Wall Street, according to the Wall Street Journal, you know, Samsung will earn more from making parts for the Apple iPhone 10 than it'll make from doing the same thing for its own Galaxy 8. The iPhone 10 has $110 worth of Samsung parts in it, and the Galaxy 8 has about $202 in Samsung parts in it. Samsung's hard for me to say. Samsung parts in it. But The iPhone is expected to sell 130 million units through 2019, and that's compared to only 50 million units for the Galaxy 8. You got to think about this. Are Are they rivals? Are they friends? Are they frenemies? I don't know. But clearly, they're joined at the hip and they're competing against each other. It's pretty interesting. Both Apple and Samsung are expected to be the most profitable companies in the world if you exclude Chinese banks. And I tell you what, I would exclude the Chinese banks. Again, if you don't own Apple, I buy half under 155, the other, the other half under 145 if it got there. Now let's talk about the new stock that we're buying that we haven't talked about before. It's Synchrony Financial, symbol S-Y-F. It's trading right around $31 paying just under a 2% dividend. Now, this is the former consumer lending arm of General Electric. 
and they came public in 2014 when GE sold 15% of the company in an IPO. And that IPO raised $2.8 billion for GE and GE retained the other 85%, which since then they've actually sold off. Now, uh, SYF, they have three main businesses. They have the credit card business, payment solutions, which provides consumer financing for bigger ticket items. They have the care credit, which finances health procedures. Now, the common thread is they're partnered with a merchant or a service provider through retailer share agreements to be their exclusive financier. Now, the largest the largest of the three segments is the credit card business. That's the big one. And that's about 75% of revenues. Basically, what they do is they do co-branded and private label credit cards for people like Walmart, Lowe's, Gap, JCPenney, Amazon, and a whole bunch of other people. Now, they've been the credit provider or this card provider for Lowe's for 38 years. Walmart for 17 years, for Amazon for 10 years. You know, the average length of relationships that they have is 19 years. So these retailers, they don't change vendors at the drop of a hat. Number one, the switching costs are pretty high and SF or SYF, well, they provide a significant advantage through their closed loop network. Think of it this way. If you go to Walmart and you buy a pair of, say, red kids, right, the sneakers, and you pay for it with just a regular credit card, well, Walmart basically knows it sold a pair of kids to somebody. With a private label card, the closed loop network, Walmart now knows what they sold and to who they sold it to. Now, with all that data collected by SYF, Walmart can now do a better job at one-on-one marketing to their customers. They know more about what's going on in their business. Maybe next week you get an ad or an email saying they're having a sale on the blue kids now and be a nice compliment to the red ones that you, you just bought. It's very effective and very valuable to the merchant. The payment solution segment is the one that provides financing for the big ticket items like cars and furniture, and it generates about 13% of overall revenues. The care credit, well, that's about another 13% of revenues, and they provide financing for elective health procedures like plastic surgery and some dental procedures, things like that. Now, I do expect these two segments, the payment solutions and the care credit to grow and do well, but the focus here, the focus is really on the card segment. Last quarter, purchase volumes were up 6.2%. Loans receivable were up 10.5%. Deposit growth was up 14%. All great numbers. I think they have a better balance sheet when you compare them to their competitors like Discover, American Express, and Capital One. I think their balance sheet is, is better. But here's the fly in the ointment. Credit losses have been up over the last few quarters. And at the end of the last quarter, total delinquencies were 4.25% of total receivables. When delinquencies increase, 
they have to set aside more to cover them. So it's a double whammy. And that's why the stock sold off from 38 to around 27. It's recovered a bit now. Again, it's about $31. Now, with the industry as a whole, the industry is expected to grow at a pretty impressive clip over the next few years as the economy does better. And management is taking a more conservative approach to underwriting business so that the earnings volatility should be a thing of the past. I think it's a buying opportunity. I would mention that they do have a long-term ambition of growing into a full-scale online bank. From a valuation perspective, I expect them to earn about $320 next year. So at $31, they're trading at nine times next year's earnings. The dividend was initiated in July of 2016, so I would expect that to continue to rise over the years. Plus, the company has a $1.6 billion buyback pro- stock buyback program in place, which would be about 7% of the shares outstanding if it gets completed. I think it's a very good business that's going to continue to grow, and at around $31, it's attractively priced for the long-term buyer. In the short term, you could get another pullback when they announce earnings, depending on what the credit metrics are. So I'd buy half now and see what the earnings look like when they come out. I think they're scheduled to come out somewhere between October 19th and October 23rd. That's all we have time for today. Join us next week for another edition of Common Sense Investing. This has been Eric Whiteman. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow up. Opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the host and may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Information provided should not be construed as personalized investment advice or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or engage in a particular investment strategy. You should consult your personal financial advisor before investing to make sure an investment is appropriate for your situation. Furthermore, this information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor. Investing strategies such as asset allocation, diversification, or rebalancing do not assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses. There are no guarantees that a portfolio employing these or any other strategy will outperform a portfolio that does not engage in such strategies. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.